We have been saving this chapter of Deuteronomy for last, even though it isn't quite the final chapter of the book itself. So this Easter Sunday, we are starting with the words of Deuteronomy chapter 30. You know, like Easter sermons usually do, right? Deuteronomy? (laughs) Well, even if it isn't usually from Easter, it is a passage that many of you will probably be familiar with. One of the most commonly read of Deuteronomy's chapters, I think, and importantly, one of the most commonly quoted or alluded to by the writers in the New Testament. But we'll get to that in a minute here. The chapter closes like this from verses 19 and 20. I call to witness for you today the heavens and the earth, life and death I set before you, the blessing and the curse, and you shall choose life so that you may live, you and your seed or descendants, to love Yahweh your God, to heed their voice and to cling to them, for they are your life and your length of days to dwell on the soil which Yahweh your God swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give to them. Those of you who have made your way through Deuteronomy with us these past months will recognize many of these themes, because this is basically a summary of the whole message of Deuteronomy up to this point. Trust Yahweh, cling to Yahweh, and you will find life. Chase after the idols and false gods of the nations, and you'll find only death. Moses pleads with the people to choose life even as the book all the way through knows that the people will instead walk on the paths that that lead them to death. These verses mention setting before the people blessing and curse. And this isn't just an abstract idea. The previous chapters, especially chapter 28, which is kind of a long one if you want to read it, they have outlined in graphic detail the great abundant life of blessing that will come if they cling to Yahweh their God, the clusters of grapes and the bountiful harvests and the safety from enemies in their secure cities, and then the multitude of grisly curses that will come if they do not. The people, in other words, cannot claim to have not been informed about the importance of their choice, what's riding on that choice. And maybe surprisingly to some of us, They also cannot claim that God has put an unreasonable, impossible task before them. Backing up to verse 11, For this command, which I charge you today, is not too wondrous for you, nor is it distant. It is not in the heavens to say, Who will go up for us to the heavens and take it for us and let us hear it that we may do it? And it's not beyond the sea to say, Who will cross over for us beyond the sea and take it for us and let us hear it so that we may do it? But the word is very close to you, in your mouth and in your heart to do it. See, I have set before you today life and good and death and evil. And I charge you today to love Yahweh your God, to go in their ways and to keep their commands and their statutes and their laws. It's not beyond you. Choosing the way of life is possible. You don't need some hero to go up into the heavens or travel beyond the sea to find it. The choice is right in front of you. Now, this seems in tension with the multitude of laws and statutes that are laid out in this book. They can seem overwhelming, impossible. But what these verses are telling us is what we've repeated a few times as we've made our way through this book. The fundamental command in Deuteronomy and in the Old Testament more broadly is not do all these things perfectly. It is rather what verse 16 that I just read says, love Yahweh your God. 
Christopher Wright, the Old Testament scholar, explained this well, I thought. Uh, He wrote, the Old Testament law is not impossibly idealistic, impractical, unachievable. The idea that God deliberately made the law so exacting that nobody would ever be able to live by it belongs to a distorted theology. The frequent claims by various Psalms to have lived according to God's law are neither exaggerated nor exceptional. They arise from the natural assumption that normal people can indeed live in a way that is broadly pleasing to God and faithful to God's law, and that they can do so as a matter of joy and delight. This is neither self-righteousness nor a claim to sinless perfection, because the same Psalms are equally quick to confess their sins and failings, fully realizing that only the grace that could forgive and cleanse them would likewise enable them to live again in covenant obedience. Obedience to the law in the Old Testament was not the means of achieving salvation, but rather the response to a salvation that was already experienced. The path that leads to life, in other words, is not one of sinless perfection. It is not beyond the heavens or across the sea impossibly difficult to arrive at. It is one in which we love Yahweh our God and trust that they will forgive our failures every time we return to that love. That was the experience that King David had and wrote about in Psalms, where his egregious sin was cleansed and set aside by a forgiving God. And yet, that isn't the path the people of Israel as a whole chose. With life and death before them, they found the temptations of the idols too great. As I said a couple weeks ago, God knew that this would be the result, that even the simple, though maybe not easy, command to love Yahweh would prove too much, and they would end up on paths that lead to death, that the journey Israel is on, the journey the world is on, would end up in the grave. And that is, in fact, where Deuteronomy chapter 30 begins. Verse 1 says, And it shall be, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse. Deuteronomy 30 looks forward to the time after the people have experienced God's blessing, wandered away, and experienced the curse of exile. Deuteronomy 30 looks ahead to a time when Israel will be in the grave, when the curse will have fallen. But then it looks forward beyond that. Picking up in verse 2, And you shall turn back, to Yahweh your God, and heed their voice with your heart and with all your being. Deuteronomy 30 looks out from the grave to a new work of God on the other side of death. Verse 3 will continue, And Yahweh your God shall turn back your former state and have mercy upon you, and they shall turn back and gather you in from all the people to which Yahweh your God has scattered you. And I love this verse. Should you have strayed to the edge of the heavens, From there, Yahweh your God will gather you in, and from there shall they take you back. These verses look forward to a new thing that Yahweh the God of Israel will do. Way out on the horizon, on the other side of exile, on the other side of death. These opening verses of the chapter, verses 1 through 10, are arranged in a common Hebrew poetic structure called a chiasm, according to scholars who study these things. And in a chiasm, the words are structured kind of like a cross-section of an onion, with the first and last matching up, and then the second and second to last matching up, coming in in concentric circles until you get to the center idea, the main idea. 
the one that the structure of the chiasm is intending to highlight, the heart of the message. And in these verses, verse 6 is that central message. And it is, if we read it, the ultimate promise of what the new thing God is going to do will look like. This is verse 6. And Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed or descendants to love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your being for your life's sake. And this is where this really becomes an Easter sermon. Because when the disciples of Jesus heard that the tomb was empty and then met the risen Jesus on the beach and then experienced the spirit of God coming upon them and God's presence with them, Well, they thought of lots of verses from the Old Testament to explain what was going on, but this was one of the central ones because they realized that this promise from Deuteronomy 30 had come true, that God had seen the failure of Israel, that the people had chosen death over life, that even the simple, certainly not easy command to love Yahweh, not idols, even that was too much. God saw the failure of humanity in general and how we were now stuck in the grave But instead of blowing it all up and starting again, instead of giving us up as a lost cause, God got down into the grave with us so that the great escape could begin. Moses in this chapter is giving the people the choice between life and death on the front end before they enter the promised land, experience God's blessings, but then wander away and the curses fall. But then the story of Deuteronomy is told again to the people when they are in exile after the curses have come in all their grim reality. Because the choice between life and death, blessing and curses, is not a one-time choice. It's one that is always available. With God hoping against hope that no matter how many times we choose death, there might come a day when we return again to choose life. But a problem remains because the choice, it remains the same. The simple but very much not easy choice to love God and not idols. And people have been fairly consistent in taking the wrong path faced with that choice. So what's different now? For the writers of the New Testament, who had experienced the risen Jesus and then the coming of God's Spirit in a new and powerful way, they believed that they were experiencing a new age arriving, that a new day had come, a time when God's promise from Deuteronomy 36 had come true. And Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart to love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your being. Wrapped up in the great mystery of the resurrection is this mystery, that somehow through joining us in the grave and then breaking free of sin and death in Jesus, God has not just done a new thing on the cosmic level with the kingdom of God breaking in and challenging the kingdoms of this world. God has done a new thing on the heart level. To use the image that the prophet Jeremiah chose, but that was certainly inspired by this very passage of Deuteronomy, God has performed a heart transplant in God's people through Jesus. God has removed our hearts of stone, the ones that are so inclined to follow after idols made of stone, and has replaced it with a heart of flesh, one that beats with love for Yahweh our God. In other words, God themself has put their spirit into us, who put our trust in them, so that we might love God with all our hearts. Listen to the promise from Deuteronomy one more time. And Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed or descendants. 
to love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your being for your life's sake. The action is all on God's side. It's all their doing. It's the mystery of the resurrection, of life springing forth from a tomb, of hearts ready to love and follow Jesus, beating where there used to be just hearts of stone. The simple but certainly not easy path of following Jesus leads through death to life on the other side. And it's all because of the greatness of our God. We are empowered by God's spirit to do what God has asked us to do, to love God and love neighbor so that life might spring forth everywhere. The good news of Easter is that the promise of Deuteronomy has been fulfilled, that God has found a way to empower us to love God the way that God had asked us to do from the beginning. And now those of us who follow Jesus get to experience the life and the abundance and the joy that is promised for those who love God. And to continue along the simple but certainly not easy path that leads through death to life on the other side.